Well, turning your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, we're continuing, of course, our study of the book of Revelation. It's often called the consummation because it gives us the end of everything. We're in chapters 2 and 3 right now, and this is, let me, here we go. Uh, this is the seven letters to the seven churches. That's what we saw. We saw at the very beginning that an angel, basically the word came to John, and he said, write these seven letters to these seven churches, and then the rest of the information. So that's what we have, and we're going to see uh, letters three and four this morning, the churches, the churches of Pergamum and Thyatira. We'll see how they fit together, what's going on. There's some good things in each church, there's some bad things in each church, and we'll see how it is. Our goal, of course, as we study this, is make application for us. Well, let's start with this. It's easy to be conformed to this world. It's so easy. The Bible says not to be conformed to the world. In fact, we always say this, if you're not consciously being transformed by the renewing of your mind, you will unconsciously be conformed to the world. If you're not consciously being transformed by the Bible or the Word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to this world. And that's what happens. And, and if we're not careful, we'll be thinking like the world. People will say something like, well, God wants me to happy, be happy. I know I'm married, but I'm not, I don't want to be married. I'm going to divorce because God wants me to be happy and he'll understand. Or they'll say things like this. I know that that's wrong, that, that used to be considered wrong, but now in our culture today, it's not really wrong. And so we're going to do this. But, you know, in the old days, that might have been a wrong thing to do. And that's what happens in a, in a fallen world and we get kind of changed and we compromise. This morning, we're going to look at two churches. One is a compromising church and one is a tolerating church. And we'll see how all that ties together. Let me give you, just because time is going to be pretty quick today and we have a baptism at the very end. But I want to show you the outline of the book of Revelation, which oh, the first eight cha- uh, verses, we t- saw that. And then 9 through 20 is the vision of Jesus. Chapters 2 and 3, where we are now, are the letters to the seven churches. And then beginning in chapter four, all the way through the end of the book will be the future events. It's pretty incredible. We see that uh, John is taken up into the heavens. He sees the heavenly things, and then he sees all the judgments that's on the earth during the tribulation time period. The book of Revelation, basically chapters four, uh, if you really want to get technical, chapters six through 19 is the tribulation. That's when he gives the information, and we'll see all that in details as we go through it. In each of these letters, now there are seven letters we're looking at. It's taken us a few weeks to go through this, but in each of these letters, there is a pattern. There is a destination, he says, to this particular church. He talks about what Jesus looks like. He gives a commendation, what they're doing right, and uh, one church doesn't have a commendation. Then he does a condemnation, what they're doing wrong, and some of the churches don't have a condemnation. Then he gives an exhortation, what they need to do, and then the promise to faithful believers. They're called overcomers. We'll talk more about that there. We have seen already the first two churches, the church at Ephesus, which left their first love. We saw it last time they, that they were doing everything. Basically, they were doing all the right things, but they were doing it out of duty rather than love. And then there was the church at Smyrna, which was the suffering church. And it was incredible because these people were standing strong and they were suffering for Jesus Christ. This morning, as we get to number three, it's called Pergamum. We'll get number four in just a minute. We call this the compromising church. And we'll go quickly through this just so you can see it. But it starts off with that this church, and let me just give you a uh, a little background. Here's Ephesus, the first church. Here's Smyrna. Here's the third church, Pergamum. That's what we're going to see now. It goes in like this circle. So you go, we'll see Thyatira, and then after that, we'll see these. So there's a circle. He goes in that circle, and he talks about these churches. And so the destination is Pergamum. And so that's beginning at verse 
12. Notice what it says, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum. We say the angel most likely is not an angel, angel that we'd call angel, but it means a messenger. Uh, the word angelos in Greek means a messenger, and it's probably meaning the pastor or the leader of the church. And so he says, write to the angel, a leader of the church in Pergamum. And then, as we said, it, it, this, this city was an, an unusual city because it was uh, 60 miles from Smyrna, 10 miles from the coast. It was a Roman colony. There was a university there. They had a temple to and an altar to Zeus. They actually worshiped Zeus in that city, and they also worshiped the emperor of Rome. And so it's right in the middle of, of a place that is totally contrary to Christianity. Of course, that was expected in the first century, but here's this, this church there, and he says, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write. So he's going to write to them, and he's going to talk about them. He gives a description. The next thing says, to the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. He describes Jesus as having a sharp two-edged sword. If you remember, at the very beginning of the book, when, it gave, when there was a description of Christ, it named a bunch of things about him. Well, in every one of these letters, it gives a little bit of description. This is the same thing found back in chapter 1, verse 16, where Christ is described with having a sharp, two-edged sword. And so that's how he's describing it, which is basically saying Jesus speaks the Word of God and Jesus judges with the Word of God. So now let's look at this church. And he does give a, condemn, a commendation. We said what they're doing right. So let's look at it and let's say, gee, or what would they say about us? What would they say about us? Well, look what he says. He says, uh, I know where you dwell where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name, you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Well, he starts off and he says, I know where you live. Let's see, he knows everything. First of all, I mean, Jesus Christ knows everything, and he says, I know everything about you. I know our trials, sorrows, ups, downs. He said, I know where you dwell. And then he says something a little bit weird. He says, where Satan's throne is. Now, he's saying that because I think what he means is there's total opposition to God. If you went to that city, there you, the first thing you would see is an altar to Zeus, and they're worshiping a false god, and then there's the whole Roman aspect of it, and the emperors to be worshiped, and so right in the middle of all that are the Christians, or the people who believe like we believe. And we'd say, well, we believe in Jesus Christ, and he's the Savior, and the Bible, and everything, and they, they would say no. And so he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. You're right in the middle of horrible stuff. And then he says this. Uh, and, but let me, let me put this. Where Satan's throne is, the temple to the Zeus is there. And then he says this. You hold fast my name. You did not deny my faith, even the days of Anthropus, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. He says, you hold fast to my name. Now, we'd say, this is fantastic. Wouldn't, wouldn't we want somebody to say, you guys hold fast to the name of Jesus Christ, and you're standing strong? It says, you do not deny my faith. That's what he's saying. And by the way, my faith, faith is referring to the body of truth. The faith, when he says, contend for the faith. We're talking about the truth. He says, you've not denied the truth. You hold fast my name. You're doing all the good stuff. That's what it sounds like. And we'd say, well, this is great. And then he says something really that's really sad. It says, even in the days of a guy named Antipas, my witness, Jesus calls him my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where or Satan dwells. He says there was a man apparently in this church named Antipas who got killed because he stood for Jesus Christ. 
Now, we're not, we're, you know, we talked about this uh, last time. We talked about the church that left its first love, and then we talked about the suffering church. And we said we could be easily, if you're not careful, the church that loses your first love because you do everything right, but you do it out of duty. We said the second church was the persecuted church, the suffering church. We said that's not us. You know, because that's not happening to us, but it's happening in the world, but it could happen here. This third church right here is called Faithful, and right in the middle of problems, and right in the middle of the trials here are people being put to death. And he says, he even names this man, Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. And so we go, wow, what a church. They're stand- it seems like they're standing strong, but there's a problem. As you get to the next verse, I have a few things against you. Now, this is the condemnation. And so what is going on? And what we're going to find is this. And you're ready? And we'll go through it fairly quickly. But you're going to see two things he brings out. They're following false teaching. You'd say, what? Yes. He says, you're following, you're holding to the teaching of Balaam, and you're holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. That's verses 14 and 15. Let me read it for you. Look at verse 14. I have a few things against you because you have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of adultery. And you also hold to the same way to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And we'll talk more about that in a second. Who is this Balaam? What is, he, what is going on? And what does he mean they hold to the teachings of Balaam? And then he goes on to explain it. Who, who put a stumbling block and, and, and before the sons of Israel. So let's talk about what is the teachings of Balaam. Well, you'll have to go all the way back to the book of Numbers. We don't take the time to do that. But I want to tell you that the nation of Israel was coming into the promised land. And there were two million of them. And they were coming. And this king by the name of Balak saw them coming. And he knew they were going to take his land. And so he says, i got to stop them somehow. And he knew of a prophet by the name of Balaam. And he, Balak called Balaam and said, come over here. I want you to curse these people. And Balaam was a prophet of God. And Balaam actually said, well, I'll come, but I'll only do what God says for me to do. So he said, I don't care. Get over here. So he got him over there and he looked out there. He put him on top of a mountain and he said, curse those people. And three times Balaam blessed the nation of Israel three different times. Well, Balak was so mad. He said, I'm not even going to pay you for what you've done. And all Balaam said, well, I said I could only say what God told me to say, but I got an idea. And what Balaam told Balak was to take women and send women down into the camp of Israel, and they'll have sex with those men, and they'll offer idols, uh, offer sacrifices to idols, and that'll stop them. So here's what you do. Send the women down there. And if you notice, it goes on to say here, I have a few things against you because you have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak. He told Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. And what did they do? To eat things sacrificed to idols, that's idol worship, and to commit acts of adultery. He He said, send the women into the camp. That's what he told him to do. And if you read in the scripture, that's exactly what happened. 20-something thousand Jewish people died when that happened. He sent them in there. That Balak sent women in there. And so the teaching of Balaam is basically the idea of false gods and sexual immorality. That's what it boils down to. It was a stumbling block, immorality and sacrifices to God. That's why he calls it the stumbling block. I have a few things against you because you've listened to the teaching of Balak, of Balaam who kept teaching Balak to put the stumbling block. 
So the teaching of Balaam is compromising the truth of the word of God to come in there and to change, allow sin to enter. And by the way, in the Bible, there are three different places where it calls teaching of Balaam, the way of Balaam, and the era of Balaam. The teaching of Balaam is found in Revelation, which is to basically cause them to sin by worshiping false gods and sexual immorality. A way of Balaam is to do what you do for money. He was a prophet, but he wanted to get paid by, from, from those people. And then the error of Balaam was thinking there will be no consequences. By the way, I want to tell you what happened. The nation of Israel turned back to God immediately, had victory, had a victory over Balak, and they killed Balaam. He's a false, a false, he was a prophet. He spoke for the prophet of God, but he caused the nation of Israel to sin. And it's so easy to compromise. It is so easy to say, well, everybody's, everybody does that. I mean, you can almost see what the nation of Israel said. Well, these are people and they're nice. And so, I mean, this is a, an idol, but idols don't matter. We got God and, and I, I mean, it's so easy to compromise the truth especially when our world is shaped in a certain way, money, power, possessions. Um, people say things like, well, uh, I know we're living together. One day we're going to get married. It doesn't really matter. Or that's old-fashioned. That's old-fashioned. The people used to, you know, do that. But we, we do this now. We compromise. Besides the teaching of Balaam, they also compromise by the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And we don't know who they are. We, uh, there's two places in here it talks about people holding to the teaching. That word, Nicolaitan, actually has an idea of to have power over. And so it, it, we seem to think it means there was a group of people that said, we have power, we have power over you, and we will teach you and tell you what to do. And you've probably seen that in your life. There are people who become in leaders, and they control everything, and that's what we think the teaching of the Nicolaitans were. And, and they were holding to that as well. And so here's this church that we would say is, is doing good in the sense that they're trying to hold fast, but they've allowed false teaching to come in. They've compromised, and they've let false teaching come in. And what's he going to tell them to do? What's the exhortation? What's the application? Look what he tells them in verse 16. He says, therefore, repent, or else I'm going to come quickly, and I will make war with them and the sword of my mouth. He says to change your mind, to change your mind on what you've been doing. That's what repent means. By the way, understand that repent doesn't mean turn from sin. Repent means change your mind. You have to look in the context of the passage to see what you change your mind about. And so he says, change your mind. Basically, quit thinking this way and quit allowing this to happen. Or else I'm coming quickly to you and I will make war against them. He says, if you don't deal with them, I'm coming to deal with them. And apparently he did. Because if you go, there is no church there. There's nothing there now. And so he, God must have judged these people. And so he says, change your mind. Get ready. And then he gives a promise to these faithful believers. Look what he says. He who has an ear. This is the, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to always remind this to you every week that we look at this. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. That means if you're listening carefully. It doesn't mean if you got an ear. Everybody's got ears. But some people got ears, but they're not listening. So he says, if you got an ear, let him listen. Let him hear what he says to the Churches, not to just just one church, but it's to all churches. This is where we take truth and we make application. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then here's what he says. Here's this promise, overcomers. Look what he says. To him who overcomes, 
To him I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. We're going to get, so this is rewards. Listen, overcomers in the book of, in, in, in 1 John, overcomer in 1 John is a Christian, a believer. Overcomers in the book of Revelation is a faithful believer who does right and gets rewarded. This is a reward. He says, to those who overcome, I'm going to give you the reward of hidden manna. Hidden manna refers to provision. It's almost that that God's going to provide even more for certain people. And it's true. If you think, if you've always heard that when everybody gets up to heaven or everybody gets in the kingdom, that they're all the same, that is not true. Faithful believers will be rewarded and have positions of responsibility responsibility and things to do. Unfaithful believers won't have the same things. This is a faithful believer and they're going to get a hidden manna. They're going to get special provisions from God. And then there's something else. He's going to give them a white stone and a new name written on it. Now look what it says carefully. A new name written on the stone which no one knows but the one who receives it. When you get there, if you're faithful and he does that, you're going to get a white stone and you're going to look at it and there's going to be a name on there that you're the only one that'll know what that name is. You might say, I got a new name. What's your name? I'm not telling you, right? (laughs) Only the person's going to know is the person that gets it. Not everybody's going to get that. By the way, some people are going to say, I didn't get the stone. Yeah, I know, (laughs) right? So it's bottom line. When you, if you're faithful, if you're an overcomer in the book of Revelation, you're going to be rewarded. And so here's this church. Let me just quickly summarize it for you. Here's a church that was doing really good, except... They were compromising, and they allowed false teaching to come in, the teaching of Balaam, the teaching of the Nicolaitans, and he says, you better deal with it, or I'm going to deal with it, and if you're faithful, I'll reward you. Well, that's the first three. They left the first love, the suffering church, the compromising church. Well, here's the other one, and this is Thyatira, and even though it's a lot of verses, we're going to go through it very quickly so you can see how this works. Thyatira, we call it the tolerating church. Uh, The 2.18 says, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, and there, once again, here's the map, and here we're coming down. We started here, we're going up, and now we're coming here. Thyatira, Thyatira is one of the smallest churches uh, that existed at that time. It's probably the least known church, about the only thing that you that only one other mention of Thyatira in the Bible, and that's where this woman uh, who was a, a, a seller of purple, and she was from Thyatira, and that's where Paul and Silas led her to Christ. And uh, so she believed in, in, in the Messiah, and then that's where they, that was in Philippi. And so Thyatira is that city. Uh, it was known for emperor worship and pagan worship. Look how he describes Jesus in this verse 18. He says, He's the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze. And he says this, he's a good judge. And let me just tell you, I hate, you know, I hate to say to everybody, we know Jesus loves us. He loves us beyond what we can imagine, but he's not only the savior, he is the judge. And sometimes there's going to be judgment. And he's about to tell this church, I'm about to judge you. I'm about to judge this body. And, and so we, as we look at this, we say, oh, man, we've already seen. We want to make sure we're not serving out of duty, we're serving out of love. If we are a persecuted church, we want to stand strong. If we're the church at Pergamum, we do not want to have in, compromise any false teaching. It is so easy to have false teaching. It's so easy. And that's why we're very careful at people who teach in our church because they have got to come uh, through the 412 and the 22 and those studies so that they agree and say, we hold to the grace message that salvation is a gift by faith. We look at the Bible in the same way that it's God's inerrant word. Everybody here has to do that. 
so that we don't have people come in and start teaching things that are false. Well, now we're looking at this church, Thyatira, and, and what is he going to say about them? Well, the condemnation, uh, the com- commendation, the good part, he says, what are they doing right? And look what he says in verse 19. I know your deeds and your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than the first. He says, I know all about what you're doing. You have deeds and love and faith and service and patience and everything's good. And so we look at this and we go, wow, they're doing great. Look at this. What are the deeds? Titus chapter 3, that's good works. They're famous for their good works. What about love? 1 John four eleven. if God so loved us, we ought to love others. They were known for their love. How about faithfulness? It says we're known for your faith, which is the idea of being faithful. They were known for their service and their ministry that they were doing. And they were known for their perseverance and patience. And they were hanging strong. And then if you look at the end of verse 19, it says, and your deeds of late are greater than at first. He says, you're doing better now than you used to do. Wow. When, if our church, what if, what if Jesus showed them and said, hey, you, you guys are even doing better now than you did when you started? We'd be going, all right, everybody get a big hand. You know, that's what we'd say. But there's a problem. There's a problem. They were tolerating. They were failing to deal with something. Are you ready for this one? Look what he says in verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of, now notice, immorality and the things sacrificed to idols. That's exactly the same thing that was happening under the teaching of Balaam. Exactly. I have this against you. They tolerate. They failed to do it. There was a woman in the church who took a position as a prophetess and led people into sin. We're going to find that there was a woman. Now, she's called Jezebel. We don't know whether her name really was Jezebel or just that Jesus is using that because if you go back in history, if I said to you, Jezebel, that's not a positive name for a woman. If you said that woman's a Jezebel, that's a very negative term. It goes back to King Ahab's wife. Her name was Jezebel. She worshiped false gods. She led the nation of Israel to turn away from God and worship false gods. It was immorality. She was an evil, evil, evil woman. One of the most, And she was the power behind the throne of the king. He thought he was the power. She really was the power. She killed people. She was evil. This is the time of Elijah and Elisha. And she's an evil woman. And so she, so to be called a Jezebel, and so in this passage, when he says the woman Jezebel, we don't know whether he means this woman's name actually was Jezebel or that he's referring to her in that same way as a woman like that, who is an evil woman. And look what it says, and we'll go through it. Uh, it says, she calls herself a prophetess. She was in the church, and they accepted her as a woman getting direct revelation from God and claiming to be from God, and yet she's pushing them to do things that are contrary to the Scripture. Now listen, a prophet, first of all, there are not any prophets today. The foundation of the church, Ephesians, is the apostles and prophets. There aren't any prophets. There are people who say they're prophets. There are people who say they get direct revelation from God. The problem is it never comes true. Some things may come true, but a prophet's got to be true every time. I, I told this in the first service, but there was a group in Kansas City about 15 years ago calling themselves the Kansas City Prophets, and they would give prophecies. But the problem is they, they didn't all come true. And so when people challenged them and said, well, if you're a prophet of God, how come it didn't come true? And they said, well, modern-day prophets don't always have to be right. No, they do have to be right. If you're going to be a prophet, if you're going to speak from God, you have to be right. And so she is a prophetess. She claimed to get direct revelation from God. And look what it said. It said she 
teaches and leads my bondservants, my saved people astray. So what do they do? They commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. It's the same thing as Balaam. It's exactly the same thing. Notice, same thing as Balaam, because Balaam over there was doing sacrifices to idols and immorality, and here's the same thing. So when you say the compromising church and the tolerating church, they go together. And you've got to be very careful on whether you're going to compromise what you believe and whether you're going to tolerate things that are wrong. There are churches today that things come in and people say this, and I know it's, the Bible doesn't say that, but, and they say, well, whatever, it doesn't matter to us because they don't hold to the Bible anyway. They compromise everything and they tolerate everything. We have to stand strong. Look what he says, and I'll go quickly so we can get through. Here's what he says, verse 21. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. He says, I want her to change her mind, but she doesn't want to, especially about the immorality. She wants, he says, uh, God, let's say, God says, God gave her time to stop. He says, I've actually given her a break and saying she needs to understand that it's wrong and she needs to stop. I gave her time to repent. She does not want to repent. And then he says this, Behold, I'm going to throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, same thing, unless they repent of her deeds, of their deeds. Look, he's going to make them sick. He actually says, I'm going to come in there, and I'm going to deal with this woman. And basically, he's saying, if you don't deal with her, I'm going to deal with you. The same thing he said in the other church. I'm going to deal with her. And then it says, and I want you to listen carefully because it, it sounds horrible. He says, I will kill her children, verse 23. I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I'm the one who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. When he says kill her children, he doesn't mean kill little children. He means killing those who are following her, who are her disciples, so to speak. Uh, you know, and so he's saying, I'm going to deal with all these people who are, who are leading other people astray and I will do that. And he says, because I am the one who searches the minds and hearts. He said, I'm the true prophet. I'm the one that gives the right information. This woman is not giving the right information. And so you can even see that in that, in that first century, in, in 95 probably, there is a woman in a church claiming to be a prophet of God, a prophetess, and she's giving revelation. And what is it causing people to do? To commit acts of immorality, sexual immorality, and to, and to offer sacrifices to, to uh uh, to demons and idols. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. And so he says, well, we got we to do exhortation. Here's what he says. I say to you, the rest of you who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. He says, I'm going to take care of the believers who don't follow her teaching. I'm there. Now, by the way, it calls it the deep things of Satan. I want you to know something, that when people start coming to you and they said, I found some things, God has revealed to me some things that nobody really knows. It's a secret from God. There aren't no secrets from God. God put it all right here. And somebody comes to you and they found a secret from God or God has revealed something to them that nobody else knows, you better get away from them. That's not biblical. That's what this woman is doing. God says, listen, there aren't any deep things of Satan, so to speak. There are mysteries in the Bible, but that's all the information that wasn't told in the Old Testament that is revealed in the New Testament. That's called a mystery, but that's not a secret thing. Nothing in God's Word is secret. He has revealed to us His Word that we can know it. And so He says to them, to those who are standing strong, I have no other burden. Here's what I want you to do. Hold fast till I come, verse 25. Hold fast till I come. And then He says this, and this is the, the real positive thing. He says, here's the promise. He who overcomes, remember, faithful believer, and who keeps my deeds until the end, 
I will give him authority over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and the vessels of the potter are broken into pieces and I have also received authority from my father. The first thing he says is they're going to rule. Listen, people have always said this, like when we get to the kingdom, everybody's going to rule. No, no. Only faithful believers rule with Jesus Christ. In fact, this passage, he is quoting Psalm 2, where in Psalm 2, Jesus Christ comes and rules with a rod of iron as the king. He says that you who are faithful will get to rule with him with a rod of iron. You will rule as well. Now, that's faithful believers, not unfaithful believers. That's faithful believers. He goes on and says something else, which is really amazing. He says, and I will give him the morning star. Who is the morning star? Well, in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, the morning star is Jesus Christ. He says, you're going to get a close relationship with Jesus Christ, a close fellowship with Jesus Christ. Now, we already saw in that other church, you're going to get manna and a stone and a name on it. And this, he says, you're going to be able to rule with Jesus Christ and be close with him. This is powerful. This is, and if you notice, he says, verse 29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is not just written to one church. It is written to all churches. If you want to stand strong, and if you want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, and if you want to get manna, and if you want to get the name, and if you want to get this, and you want to uh, get the rule with Jesus Christ, you're going to have to be faithful. You're going to have to be an overcomer. And an overcomer is one who lives for Christ and who is faithful. That's what it is. And so we're going to see that as we go through it. Let me give you quickly the applications, and then we'll go for the baptism. It says, let's not compromise the truth of God's word or tolerate sin within the church. That's what these two churches, one is a compromising church, one is a tolerating church. It's so easy to fall into false teaching and sin. That's why we guard it. We guard it. It's easy, idolatry and sexual immorality. It happened in the nation of Israel under Balaam. It's happening in these churches, and it, can happen, and it happens in modern-day churches today. There are people who say, well... You, people, people say that's wrong, but it's not really wrong. Everybody does it. That, that's modern times now. No. What is first in our lives? Who or what do we worship? Do we compromise? And compromise comes slowly. It's a little at a time. It's never overnight. It's a little bit at a time. And before you know it, you look up and go, we don't do that. Yes, we do. Well, we don't. No, yes, we do. Be careful. Let's realize that God judges sin. He does it. Compromise brings discipline. We saw both churches he said, if you, don't come, if you don't do something with them, I'm coming and dealing with it. Because he does that. Is there sin that we're tolerating in a church body or in ourselves? So think about your life and our church as a life. Is there anything compromising or tolerating that we shouldn't? Because that's what this passage is about. And then finally, let's be faithful believers. And you remember that church? To be an overcomer means getting rewards. And what are they going to get? Manna. Do you want to have manna, the provision from Jesus Christ? Do you want to get a white stone with a special name on it? Do you want to get to rule with Christ? Do you want to have a fellowship with the morning star? That's Jesus. Is that what you want or not? Because that's what's going to happen. When you're faithful, if you're an overcomer, that's what's going to happen. We want to be a church known for our deeds, our love, our faith, our ministry, and our patience.